KYW Original Podcasts. Hey, Flashpoint family. Thank you so much for taking a listen. Would you do me a favor? Would you subscribe to the podcast and then rate and review? We need your reviews to get us to the top. Thanks, everybody. Now let's get to it. This week, we take a look at the 2020 election. Oh, yeah, this is an election year. Or did you forget? Because so much energy is going into the COVID-19 discussion. With primaries postponed and limitations on get-out-the-vote efforts, how will it affect political campaigns? I'm doing more things now than ever. Incumbents do have an advantage in this place. COVID-19's impact on Election Day and beyond. Then, with new voter registrations down, thanks to the coronavirus, there's an effort to shift voting culture. There's a community out there that we want to encourage people to feel part of. The Committee of 70's We Vote campaign lays out new tools for getting voters engaged. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is the 2020 election. Upended by the coronavirus crisis and lockdown, primary election dates have been postponed all over the country. Local debates canceled and campaigning, well, all online. With Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden holding town halls virtually from his basement. And local elections, well, very little coverage in the media. So how will this lack of focus and this social distancing impact voter education and turnout? We dig in. With me to discuss this flashpoint is Christine Jacobs, executive director of Represent PA. We also have Mustafa Rashid, president and CEO of Bellevue Strategies. And finally, we have Dorisha Parker. She's a candidate to the Pennsylvania House of Representatives to represent the 198th district. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Christine, I want to start with you. When folks say 2020 election, a lot of times there are blank stares because the media hasn't talked about the election in weeks. What do you think will be the impact? Because people just aren't talking about the election. And they aren't talking about it for several reasons. One is because it's already decided who the Democratic candidate for president is going to be. And that took a lot of air out of the discussion. But the other reason is that I think they should be talking about the election is because so much energy is going into the COVID-19 discussion. And that's going to dramatically impact how candidates work and also how the election itself is run. I will say that it feels like That isn't the only election, though. There are other seats besides the presidential election, but nobody's talking about any of it. And the primaries were pushed back. I mean, it's like it's out of sight, out of mind. It really is. And and that's to disadvantage of people like Derisha, who has a primary. But there are uh, most people have decided that within Pennsylvania, we don't have major primaries for attorney general or for treasurer. We do have a primary, however, for auditor general. And we have lots of primaries for the state representatives representatives, both the representatives and the Senate. And that's going to be the getting energy and getting enthusiasm around those and also running a good election are just not getting enough attention. Mustafa, I mean, you are a political strategist. You help people uh, in this position. What do you tell folks? I mean, what's the pivot when you can't do any of the things we traditionally do during campaign season? Candidates do have to try to figure out how to cut through what's going on out there. I will, I will tell you this. I know that political reporters 
are looking for news stories right now. They're looking for candidates. They're looking for ideas. Um, I had someone tell me, hey, I, I need to keep this story, this angle, this beat that I'm working on alive. So so give them stories. And uh, if you're a candidate out there that, that's trying to cut through, you know, develop relationships with media and, and, and talk to them about it is what you're doing um, so that you can make sure that your coverage gets out there. But it, it is going to be difficult, but that's, that's, a, that's going to be the same for everyone. You find folks are using the the crisis you know be front and center is that an option i'll tell you this i think it's a tremendous opportunity to have a conversation about the built-in inequities in the society and if you're a candidate that is running on addressing some of those inequities be it healthcare, education or housing it's a great opportunity for you to talk about your campaign your platform and what are some of the things that you would do to address those inequities in society so it's not it's not using it per se um, Jerry, it's, it's, you know, that's what everyone is, is talking about right now. And this current crisis, you know, it didn't create all these inequities, but it certainly exposed them in really short order. Yeah. You know, one way of really uh, using the crisis and making use of it is the fact that our legislature has not seized upon the opportunity to talk not only about the subjects that you mentioned, Mustafa, but they also haven't discussed a lot of the other issues that are affecting people, like unemployment. Uh, The fact that our whole unemployment system was denigrated over the last few years because, hey, employment was in good shape. Who needs the extra people in the office? Mm -hmm. And other services that people are needing. further expansions of Medicaid, further expansions of childcare, things that are, are, are inequities, but they're also really coming out because of this COVID crisis. And yeah, our leadership yeah. and the current leadership is just not working on that. And that's a great opportunity for candidates to really make themselves known right now. Yeah, I think, you know, that's the issue. Can you somehow pivot, come up with a plan? Because I don't hear any plans uh, being discussed on this. And so, Darisha, I'm going to pivot to you uh, now because your experience working in politics for many years, and now you're wanting for the 198th district seat. Tell me, what's the difference between before COVID-19 and the lockdown to today in your campaign and, and how you've been hitting the streets on this? The best part about, um, for myself as being a 25 years professional of communicator, um, grassroots connector, um, and with a public relations background, I have been able to utilize those skills more now than ever because I'm able to use my cell phone, my iPad, and my laptop to make sure that the 63,000 individuals within this district get as many resources as possible. So it's really making me um, step it up and multitask. I'm not giving out any back room or kitchen secrets based on this conversation on how I'm utilizing or on what specifically how I'm doing it, but it's, it's making me more accessible. Um, it's, it's longer hours in a day, but honestly, Cherry, all of the tools that I'm using, I was going to use for my campaign anyway. Is it different? Because I mean, you were probably knocking on doors, doing uh, face-to-face meetings and now it's virtual. The main thing that I've really missed that's different is I can't interact with the seniors. The seniors are mm-hmm. the highest population as far as the voters uh, who turn out the votes. And I can't have coffee clashes and raise funds in their house. So the big mm-hmm. difference now is me providing resources for information versus me asking Miss Mary, who's 75 years old, to write me a check. You're on the phone, and I, 
I honestly cannot, because we're in a pandemic, ask some people for chat. The money cash. is real. <laughs> cash, cash, dollar bills. In addition yeah. to those things, some of the other things that I've heard from candidates are that um, because they can't have the group meetings that you talked about, Dorisha, they're having to do more one-on-ones. Uh, which does take more time. They're not able to go door to door. And so many candidates who flipped seats in 2018 did it by having extensive ground games. And that's not possible. But the the flip side is they're making phone calls. And guess what? People are answering their phone. And so they're sending postcards. They're making use of a lot of people who are home looking for something to do and supporters. And they're sending out a lot of more postcards. But people are answering the phone, which is... Which is a beautiful thing. I mean, we get a captive audience. But that leads me to, you know, one of the things we've all talked about, and I'll ask you both, part of the process is the battling it out, the fight leading up to the big election. And now there might not even be a full-fledged RNC or DNC. It's probably going to be virtual of some sorts. How does this change things? How does it bring parties together um, when we, you know, we haven't really had the, the full fight? And now we're talking about virtual. (laughs) I don't know if there's space for a fight um, because the most important thing in front of us right now is how this country responds not only to this crisis, but how we prepare for future crisis. And how do we get people keep talking about getting back to normal? What we found is that in two to four weeks, we did not have a functioning economy that really worked for everyone. So the conversation, as I think Darisha started to talk about, was not just going back to it, but the conversation at the convention, be it virtual or otherwise, has to be about how do we get to a much better place than where we were two months ago when we thought everything was okay, because it it wasn't. Yeah, but how do you bring, I mean, a lot of it is the voters aren't paying attention. I mean, Mm -hmm. the voters aren't paying attention. We... Uh, the numbers came out. They said the number of uh, new registrations down like 90%, some crazy number. So what do you do when you can't have an in-person convention? Think the virtual is going to have the same type of impact? It, it, it won't have the same type of energy. It just won't. Um, the economic impact won't be there. The energy won't be there. The pomp and circumstance won't be there. But I'm, I'm going to be optimistic here and hope that it's an opportunity to talk about substance. Like what are some of these policies that are going to come out of it that are going to move people, that are going to inspire people? Because maybe if the candidate, the, the Democratic nominee, has, has ideas or how we can move this country to a better place, people will pay attention and be inspired. Isn't this really an opportunity for to talk about issues and not personality? Donald Trump was going to run on our, you know, isn't this in a great economy? Now let's run on all the inequities that have showed up in our system. Now let's run on the healthcare differences. Now let's run on the, are you getting enough to eat? And I think that we're going to be able to mobilize people with the right campaigns at all levels, both con- congressional races in the state, as well as federal, as well as the down ballot races, let's talk issues. And I think there's big social media campaigns planned by the parties, um, by, you know, interest groups and by um, uh, candidates. Yeah. And I want to get Dorisha back in here because um, you're talking about, I mean, you're a lot of the people who vote, you in your district, especially our seniors. uh, We've, one of the things that has been highlighted in recent weeks is the digital divide. And that's how all the politics is happening right now, virtually. How does that impact the ground game? It definitely impacts the game in in, in a way that individuals didn't really want to embrace it. Okay, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. old way of the old type of politics, 
to me, it, it's, that made you, if you're a candidate in 2020, you had to, on the quick, less than 90 seconds, figure out with your, with your team how to transform your campaign. Because mm. it, it's not knocking doors. It's not um, going to places in person. It's, it, it's, and then when you put that, you have to do everything on the phone, that means you literally have to, in my, in my previous life, I sold cars. I, I sales background. So a lot of the things, it, it's a quick, you literally have to do a 60 second fast, quick and close. And what ends up happening now with this close, you, you have a person on the phone that needs to know, can you check to see if their stimulus money has come in? So you literally are doing three things at once. You're doing your opening pitch, you're doing your close, and then you're going to ask for the support. And then, oh, before you hang up, can you please check if my check is here? So I'm doing more things now than ever. But again, I do miss being in front of my seniors because it's taken, yeah. I have to be on the with phone with seniors longer because they don't have as we have right now with this technology. When you're on the phone, it takes a little more time to sort of get that feel of an individual than you would if you saw them face what? to face. With people being stuck in the home, their patients aren't the way they used to be because they're stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's anxious. <laughs> They'll let you know upfront yeah, if they're yeah. for you or if it's a waste of time. And thank you for that, Dorisha. Who's got the advantage here? Because Trump is on TV every day. Okay. No one really uh, hears about Biden's in his basement somewhere. On the other hand, he doesn't do himself any good by being on TV. <laughs> and I'm sure that Biden is sitting there going, go right ahead and talk about Clorox, buddy, because it's not doing you any good. And it's not what people want to hear. And so I don't necessarily think this is an incumbent versus a non-incumbent. I think it's a, somebody who's got policy and who cares as opposed to somebody who doesn't. I think we're going to have districts in Pennsylvania. I think we're going to have congressional races in Pennsylvania where the members of Congress today can talk about, the Democrats can talk about what they're doing on the various programs they're working on and how, they're ha and how many bills that they've passed in the House but the Senate has refused to bring up. And I think that within our state legislature, they can talk about how they wanted to put more money into unemployment and they've been blocked by the Republicans. So I really think that there's a, a, a heart issue, kind of some of the issues that Mustafa talked about. Yeah, yeah and Mustafa, uh, go right ahead. I mean, I was thinking uh, there, there are clear advantages here. So if so, like a person who's more, who's not as charismatic, you know, in person may actually have, some advantage in, in this way. So there's, there, there could be some upsides to this for some candidate. There will be folks that carve out a space that, that can be a winner in it. Um, and it, it will take charisma to sort of to cut through. Um, I, I will admit that I think that incumbents do have an advantage in this place. Um, they're able to put forth legislation, they get media coverage, they can use all the tools in their office, um, but that's that's what they've earned. But um, as as you pointed out, Christina, are they are they taking that opportunity to do so in a thoughtful and a constructive manner? Is is remains to be seen for everyone. Um, but it's you know, those are the rules. Those are the rules of engagement right now. Um, you're 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 turning into a headwind, um, and so your job as a candidate is is to figure out how to use that as a strength. Um, and take it as an opportunity, like you said, not to, not to be about personalities or, or, or egos, but to have a substantive discussion about, the, about how we got here and how we got here so fast, because I, I think that's worth exploring. 
it was wild how all the attention was mm -hmm. on the national election. There was yeah. Bernie Sanders, Joe yeah. Biden, and then yeah. all of a sudden COVID <laughs> hit and Bernie slid into the, you know, to the background. And next thing you know, Joe anything. Biden's the guy. He didn't right. even put right. up a fight. It was done. Right. It was the most important thing in the world. And then just overnight, it was the nuts. So you can't say that that's not still true. So how do you figure out a way to bring both of those conversations together? One of the things that Mustafa um, hit on when he talks about the incumbent, I think of the um, Janet Jackson song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? <laughs> and what's happening with this incumbent, sadly, in the national, we think about what he's doing now. And it hurts individuals like myself who have never ran for political office. So the expectations are now trumped up, so not even trumped up, but it's like 50,000 times more their expectations because they know what they have. So they know, they're telling you up front, this is what we've had for 26 years, this is what we want, and we know we want better, and are you going to be that person that's going to deliver us based on your running? They know what they've had. They want something better. And you've got to prove it socially yes. distant. I do, I do. I do have to prove it socially distant. If you look at education funding, for example, in the state of Pennsylvania, and how unequal it is between rich and poor school districts, that we've got the worst um, discrepancy between rich and poor districts in the entire country. When you look at that, and then you have our current state legislature who said, everything's fine, there's no more money for the, you know, it's just because the teachers unions or whatever excuse they use, it is with the issues we're going to have in education with the state funding, the state budget and the city budgets running out of money because of all that they're doing now. It's a perfect opportunity to talk about we, that change that we've needed for a long time. I can provide that change. Yeah. And I got to switch gears a little bit because there's a politics to COVID-19. I mean, you see red states wanting to reopen and you see blue states being more cautious. Is this going to be a political issue? Somehow it, it has been. Pennsylvania, red state, right? It is. Wisconsin, yeah. Michigan, and, and Georgia. Let's use those states. Um, what we saw in Georgia over the weekend is, is going to be a crime against humanity. That, that governor of that red state allowed that state to open. And it will have a disproportionate effect on black and brown people in that state who are the ones who can't work from home, can't do from tech telecommuting, but are in service positions, frontline workers, and are, are most likely to get sick and have pre-existing health conditions and other inequities. And so not only is it a somehow become a political calculus, which I think is baffling, it's science, right? Science says stay away from people, but it's become a political calculus where folks who are on a particular side of the aisle think that it's okay to have flamboyant statements that harm the public health and public interest. And I... I, I think that that's troubling to say the least, and I'm hopeful that we could move away from that and move closer towards what science says that we should do. Yeah. Mustafa, aren't there there are electoral reasons that you know I believe that the Republican governors are going the other direction, and one of them is none of them want to have um, bad state budgets, and so they don't want to pay unemployment. They want to make sure state revenues are coming in. They're not getting any state taxes, so it's bad for their budgets to uh, have people out of work. And the other reason is they're all running, um, you know, on the economy and on the economy as it existed. And yeah. if they're running on the, they want to get back to that economy and they've got their fingers crossed that 
everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think that that's their political calculus. Yeah. Not it, that they want old people to die. Some people would have said that. Yeah, some people <laughs> yeah. are going to die, yeah. Lieutenant Governor of Texas. Yes. Yeah, he said that. He said he was, you know, we should like call the herd, which was pretty awful. There's a calculus to that, and I, I, I do think it's unfortunate. It's, it's, it should not be that way. We should not be creating a situation where... 5% of the population could be exposed to a lethal disease uh, if we can control it. Yeah, and, and Darisha, I want to come back to you because how do you talk to people and bring in, you know, what they're dealing with right now and make it resonate when you're you're on the campaign trail, even um, socially distanced? What I found is the fact that if you're there and you answer an individual's question, you don't BS them, but you actually give them an answer to their question then that makes you more of a person that sounds like you're not just there for a candidacy, you're going to be there for the long run. So actually, you literally I, are helping them through the crisis. Yes, if you see something, instead of venting on social media, let's together get it resolved. And, and you don't want to give them what the big 300-pound elephant is. It's about to come up because of what's going to happen because of resources, because of coronavirus. Let's talk about what we can do now together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting approach. Thank you so much, Teresha, because that's interesting. I mean, like get in it, get in the boat and help them row. Are we going to have a whole new political game after this? I hope so. <laughs> no, I do, because we've been stuck. And I, you know, again, I have a Pennsylvania focus, but we've been stuck and we've been stuck on uh, certain the way we pay for um, roads, the way we pay for uh, education, the way we pay for a lot of things. And I think we're going to have, or at least I hope that we're going to have, it's time for us to look at all the social issues, look at how well the Commonwealth is running, accept the fact that great change is going to come and elect new people who are willing to make the change. Yeah. And Mustafa, you know, uh, you know, uh, social media had a huge impact on the 2016 election. We had misinformation, whatever. How will social distancing impact the 2020? It certainly will make voting a challenge, um, as you saw in Wisconsin last month, where um, they insisted on holding regular in-person voting, um, and people had to go out and figure out how you vote, and fewer, there are going to be fewer voting places that are going to be open. Voting is going to require you being in protective equipment when you go. There will be a challenge with getting people to work those stations because you're going to be around a lot of people. And the people who typically volunteer to vote are older people and they should not be out around a bunch of people right now. So there, there are going to be some changes in there. I know the federal government um, sent money to states for election security and other um, voting um, day yeah. um, um, expenses. And so I hope that it's enough. But, you know, if you're talking, like Wisconsin went from, um, I believe, 1,800 voting places to 200. The lines, it was it, it was a cluster right? blank. Yeah. So, yeah, so people will have to make a decision, like, do I want to go exercise my, my, my right to vote? Um, or maybe I just don't want to do that anymore because you've made it so difficult. And in a city like Philadelphia, where the high water bark is 25, 26% of people that vote in elections, yeah. I don't want to see more challenges for people to go out and vote. You should really also think about the social media campaigns around the food lines. There's great visuals out there today around how long food lines are for people, people yes. who are going to be evicted, people from people who are currently homeless and a lot more homeless as the city and the state run out of money for paying for a lot more um, 
uh, provisions for them. If we can get everybody to vote, I think there's opportunities for people to better understand the situation through social media. Quick question to you, Darisha, before our last final question. If you knew then what you know now, that COVID would come, would you have changed anything? Yeah, absolutely not. And I'm glad you said that. Um, Today I had a chance along with my brother, we volunteered with Pastor Mitchell and the Black um, doctors. So we were literally out in, in it. So for a person like me, I'm committed, I'm dedicated, I'm on, I'm boots on the ground, Parker for the 198, and I can actually tell you that I know that my campaign and everybody who's on this Zoom and beyond, we need to do more and yeah. we need to do better. Well, because it's a splash point, we do need to wrap this up, okay. everybody. Uh, and so, I mean, COVID-19 is changing the political game. And so usually I try to do predictions, but we won't do that this time. Instead, I want to talk winners and losers. What will COVID-19 help to win? And what will it push to lose in this game called politics? In 2020. Well, absolutely. For Darisha being the only African-American woman, and I'm also the pick the number one ballot position. And I also have um, endorsements by the party and um, a lot of AFL-CIO union people. This COVID-19 has made, is going to make me win because I'm dedicated and committed to being a person that's dedicated to service. Okay. And Musafa, what are, what will COVID-19 push to win and what will it push to losing? For winning, it's going to be innovation is how we look at whole systems and how they're interconnected. I think the loser in this, I hope the loser in this is the old way of how we looked at systems where I could fix the hole in my side of the boat and everything's going to be okay. And I don't have to worry about the hole in your side of the boat. You just deal with it. But we have to realize that if I fix the hole in my side of the boat and there's a hole in your side of the boat, this boat's going down. And right now, this whole boat's going down, whether I think we're going to do my side of the boat's doing well or not. And I hope that sort of mentality is, is yeah. what's lost coming out of this process. All right. Final word, Christine. And I'm going to go with hope also, that I think it's a time for people to identify what the system has really done for them. And it's going to be the numbers of unemployed people, the people who have food insecurity, the people who are going to lose their homes, all of that. I think it's time to mobilize them to understand that rallies don't do it, cheerleading doesn't do it, voting for candidates who care about their issues. It's what's going to change. Thank you so much to Christine Jacobs, to Mustafa Rashid, and to Darisha Parker for being on Flashpoint and talking about these issues in the news. Thank you, guys. up a new initiative designed to shift voting culture. Embrace the democratic opportunity to vote. Committee of 70's new virtual campaign kicks off with town halls and more. Details coming up. We'll be right back. Flashpoint family, if you like what you hear, why don't you stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes or our Flashpoint extras. One example is our exclusive interview with the one and only DJ Jazzy Jeff. He contracted COVID-19. He had some dark moments, but he survived. Take a listen to his journey. Another example is our past newsmaker of the week, Andrew Wyatt. He's spokesman for actor and comedian Bill Cosby. He explains why they're petitioning the governor to hopefully get the cause out of jail early. All of this and more wonderful episodes. Please subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. And now back to the show. 
This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. The Newsmaker of the Week is voting. New voter registrations are down because of the COVID-19 pandemic, so Voting Watchdog Committee of 70 launched We Vote, a campaign designed to change voting culture in Pennsylvania and to champion the Commonwealth's new mail-in ballot option. With me to discuss We Vote is Committee of 70 President and CEO David Thornburg. David, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you, Cherry. My pleasure. COVID-19, the lockdown, has had a significant impact on voting voter registrations. Could you just lay it all out for us? It's kind of similar to uh, other aspects of our lives. It's just kind of turned everything upside down. The good news for Pennsylvania is that last fall, with no foreknowledge that we were going to have this health crisis, the legislature and the governor passed a law that opened up new opportunities for Pennsylvanians to vote by mail. So that is really come to the rescue of this election. And I just heard today that Almost 900,000 Pennsylvanians now have registered to vote by mail or vote at home, which is eight times the number of folks that that use that option in uh, 2016. So, uh, and and we're strongly encouraging people to to vote by mail. This is a, as we say, it's it's good for them and it's good for us. But that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. There are a lot of other things that have been changed by this COVID-19 uh, process. And, um, you know, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. But 900,000, that's wonderful, but we have many more voters than that. Yeah. There are about eight and a half million voters registered in Pennsylvania. Uh, so, you know, depending on how many you think you're going to turn out in the spring, uh, in, in, on June 2nd, there's still a lot of room uh, to grow there. And, uh, but there's still six weeks before the, before the election too. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is right now, this is when the GOTV, uh, getting people registered, getting folks geared up, really goes into full throttle, right? This, the standard uh, playbook for running for office uh, these days, particularly for a state house seat or a state senate seat, is you knock on doors, you go to uh, in-person fundraisers, you talk to voters on the street or at subway stops and so forth, and that's all off the table. So um, it's a brave new world for candidates, that's that's for sure. But you know, the good news is we do have these tools, which we didn't even have maybe four, eight years ago. We have these online tools where voters can learn about candidates, learn about issues. The, the nice thing about voting at home is you can kind of take your time you don't have to feel the, the press of the other people in line at the voting booth and this sort of panic sets in. So it's a different way of approaching the election. Some things are not as good, but I think we'll also find that other things actually work pretty well. And Committee of 70 does voter advocacy, a nonpartisan organization. Tell me how the strategies that you usually use have shifted to accommodate this brave new world we're living in. Well, we saw this coming, frankly, before COVID-19. And we said, you know, there's a, there's a huge challenge to make voters aware of the new tools at their disposal. By the way, one of the things we, we knew a few months ago is we have new, relatively new voting machines. That's an adjustment all unto itself, but layer on the vote by mail options and, and other issues so we've launched this uh, awareness campaign called We Vote, and the short-term goal is to make sure that people know everything they need to know to go vote on June 2nd and on November 3rd. But it's also 
in a broader sense, trying to create a stronger culture of voting. I mean, let's face it, you know, voter turnout uh, historically, particularly among younger voters, is just not what it should be. So it really feels important to support um, families, neighborhoods, organizations, companies, nonprofit organizations who embrace um, the democratic opportunity to vote and encourage their employees and encourage their neighbors and people on the block. So that's the point of the We Vote initiative. And um, we've developed a comprehensive set of tools that you can find at wevote.70.org on our website. Uh, and uh, uh, this is a sort of a big push for us to make sure, again, that, that voters know what the deal is for June 2nd and November 3rd, but also use that as an opportunity to build for the future. Yeah. And so let's go over these tools, because like you said, the main tool used to be face to face contact, you know, um, knocking on people's doors, holding events, um, you know, rallies, whatever, all those things right now are off the table. So how are you connecting with voters? Sure. Um, well, it starts with, like a lot of things, with our website, and we've got a comprehensive voter guide there. We've also got a tool called BYO Ballot, which allows you to build your own ballot uh, online. And then you can, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to share it with your friends or your neighbors or your family, just to say, here are the people that I think I'm going to vote for and here's why. You can download that to your phone and you can use it at your kitchen table when it comes to vote or you can take it to the polls. We also have a, an app that's just called the Committee of 70 app um, that is, uh, puts all of those tools and all that information in the, in the palm of your hand. So we're trying to, and, and on that, we've got information about candidates, obviously deadlines, um, the intricacies of, of, of how you vote by mail. We've also launched uh, an extensive and unprecedented level of um, candidate uh, uh, interviews uh, that we've done both on video uh, and uh, through our podcast. So on our Facebook page, if you want to go tune in and see what uh, the auditor general candidates are all about or congressional candidates or attorney general candidates, we've been doing 20 minute interviews with each one of them uh, to, just to give voters a chance to eyeball them, to hear what they have to say. Uh, and in the interest of, uh, uh, making for uh, better choices uh, down the road. So this is a busy time for us. We're throwing everything we can into this effort uh, because we want uh, everybody to feel uh, comfortable, safe, and secure and informed uh, when, they, uh, when it comes time to vote. Yeah. And you guys are doing some outreach as well, holding some virtual town halls. Well, we are. Uh, we're, we're really looking forward to the first of those that we're doing with, with you folks called We Vote at Home, uh, where we're going to open up the, uh, the Internet in a safe way uh, mm -hmm. to folks that, that want to learn about all of these issues. We've got some national experts participating, probably the leading national expert on voting at home. We've got some local elected officials uh, that we expect to participate uh, so this is, again, part of, you know, we're doing this virtually. Maybe we'd love to do this over, over a beer uh, in the future, but right now we're doing this virtually. But again, trying to create this sense of, of community, that there's a, yeah. th there's a community out there uh, that we want to encourage people to feel part of. And, you know, the, uh, one of the 
the key um, aspects of that community is, is active participation in the democratic process. So we vote. Yeah, we vote, we vote, we definitely vote. And, uh, you know, I got to ask you a question about hard to reach communities because we, one of the things COVID-19 shows us is that there is a digital divide in some ways. And so any ideas on how to reach the folks who may not be as connected? I mean, I'm very connected. I got Zoom and computers and laptops and iPads. Any thought to those voters? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, we, while, while we, we, we generally don't use our phones as phones anymore, <laughs> mm-hmm. they still work as phones. <laughs> and I think the campaigns are quite aware of that. So calling voters, um, you know, making, reaching out to, to people on your block or uh, your relatives, your family, your friends, just simple reminders, asking them uh, if there's anything, any information they need to know in order to vote. Uh, I think is is a great sort of basic uh, device. Also, I'll, I'll remind people while we're encouraging folks to vote by mail, there will be options to vote in person. You can, even if you don't have a computer, but you want an a, a application to vote by mail, you can call uh, the city or you can call the county in which you live and, and have them mail you a ballot, uh, an application for a ballot. So, you know, we're sort of all of a sudden had to do a lot of things differently, but, but some basics, I think, uh, still remain and are still, still powerful. And, and I always remind people when it comes to voting can be very intimidating and it, it feels like it's kind of a secret thing that only some people know about. And, you know, websites are helpful. That's what we do. But at the end of the day, if you're, if you know there's an election coming, reach out to somebody. Maybe it's a member of your church. Maybe it's a member of uh, someone down the street who you know is a little more involved, a little more engaged in things. And just give them a shout and say, hey, help me understand what's what's going on out there. What do I need to know? So even in this digital world, the sort of person to person, one person reaches out to another. It's, it's kind of the fail safe, tried and true solution to a lot of these things. Yeah, I know the churches are going to be big because people have been able to connect virtually with churches. Yep. And so that's going to be a big way of, of getting this WeVote information uh, to folks who may not always check. So 900,000 people have registered. Is there a goal that you think would be like, given the COVID-19 world, June 2nd, we think this think more people will be doing in-person voting, but in your mind, are you saying to yourself, okay, we need to get like this number? Well, let me just... I mean, that's a tough question to answer because this is unexplored territory. I will note that in uh, Wisconsin a few weeks ago when they had their primary, 80% of their votes were cast by mail. Wow. Uh, Now, things didn't work out so well in Wisconsin, you may have remembered. Uh, Voters standing in line, lots of confusion around uh, deadlines and mail votes and so forth, but but. That wouldn't be out of the question that 80, you know, ballpark, 60, 70, 80 percent of the votes that are, that are cast are cast by mail. All the more reason why we got to make sure that we inform people about the deadlines, the process, what to expect. One thing, by the way, let me throw this in there. A, a neat feature that the state put in place is that when you register to vote by mail, if you give them an email address, they will inform you of the progress of your application. 
Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like those tracking things, you know, from the post office or UPS. Yeah. So you know when it gets to the county board of elections, when they've mailed your ballot out, when they've received your ballot. So that'll take care of some of the anxiety that people might have about this process. Cause sadly we don't always feel good about the post office, you know what I mean? But, but there's a way to track that. Yeah. And so what are the deadlines? Uh, and then, yeah, cause, cause it's coming up, you have some time, but it's, it's coming quick. Yep. So May 18th is the deadline to register to vote. And the easiest way to do that is online. And the state's website is votespa.com, votespa.com. And then May 26th is the deadline by which you need to request a a mail vote, uh, uh, a vote by mail ballot. Um, And then you have until eight o'clock the day of the election to deliver it to uh, the Board of Elections in City Hall or or in the the county seats. So those are the key deadlines. May 18th, register. May 26th, to request uh, a vote-by-mail application. Wonderful. And then June 2nd is when it all goes down. Um, And so, yeah, and so we're on Monday, May 4th, opportunity to hear from experts uh, and, and give all the details, and where can people find Committee of 70? Well, you can find us uh, on our Facebook page, of course. Uh, our website is just the word 70.org. If you want to find about, particularly about our We Vote initiatives, that's wevote.70.org. And, uh, you know, we're, as I said earlier, we're doing everything we can to make sure that, that voters are aware of what's out there and that we feel like you know, there's been a lot of talk about, like, we can get through this together, and there's this new sense of community out there. Well, this is this is a community that we ought to really care about, that a lot of people worked hard, even gave their lives over the years to create and sustain. So uh, it feels really important right now. So David Thornburg, Committee of 70, thank you so much for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. My pleasure, Terry. Next up, she sells hair care products, but when COVID-19 hit, her company pivoted. It was the outpouring of love. The socially responsible change a Philly company made to help fill a supply gap. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast by downloading the Radio.com app or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now we here at KYW. We are all about community. A Philadelphia-based natural hair care company made a major pivot when the coronavirus pandemic hit. When hand sanitizer became scarce, Natural Club began making it and donating thousands of bottles to those in need. With us to discuss their ongoing effort is our Patriot Home Care changemaker, Mucha Eltajani. Mucha, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So tell us, first of all, what your business was originally designed to do. So at Natural Club, our mission is to create products with integrity while uplifting our community. So we started making non-toxic, fresh hair products for curly and kinky hair types. And it was important to us because um, Mintel, one of the world's largest um, marketing intelligence agencies, stated that one out of every 12 hair products geared towards black women contained toxic ingredients. So it was making us sick over time, our own hair products. Mm-hmm. So at Natural Club, we bring better products for you that make your hair look great, um, but also cause no health complications. 
because we hear about so many black women getting breast cancer, fibroids, and a lot of people have been linking that to the hair care products that we've been using for years and years. Exactly. The really cool thing about our brand too is our we have refrigerated hair care products. So we're the first to put avocado pulp in hair products to give you a better moisturizing agent than any other product on the market. That also appeals to all hair types because we're the only ones who do provide that treatment. Amazing. COVID-19 hit, lockdown mm -hmm. hit, and you decided to do what? We knew that there was a shortage of hand sanitizers around the country. Manufacturers were having a hard time finding packaging, as well as battling the rising costs, like ingredients like alcohol. And since our mission is to uplift our community, we felt that the, in this exact moment is when our community needed us most. Um, and so in response to COVID-19, our Natural Club team is rerouting some of our equipment and budget to be used for the production and distribution of hand sanitizers. Um, so we launched the hand sanitizers on our website and the first batch was absolutely not for sale. We gave it for free with every purchase to our community, as well as um, a police department in Cleveland and three organizations here in Philadelphia that help people experience homelessness. Because we started as soon as it happened, we were able to then give it to people sooner than most companies can. Wow. And so now you have hand sanitizer going out the door. Yes. Thousands of hand sanitizers we've given out so far. Wow. So does your hand sanitizer have a special fragrance? Because you got to ask, if you all natural putting avocado pulp, you guys have to do something else. <laughs> Um, so hand sanitizers are highly regulated, like the ingredient list, you can't really change much about it besides the alcohol level. So for most hand sanitizers, their alcohol level is about 60%, but ours is at 70% because we want it to be even more effective for our community. Yeah. And what has been the reaction from the community? Um, number one, just from the fact that you guys are doing this and then that it's a African-American black owned business that's doing this. It was an outpouring of love. I think the community really senses how much we love them and they understand what we're doing. And not only that, a lot of them were shocked that we were giving it out for free. And so I think we surpassed their expectations of what a company should do for their community. And so because of that, they've actually been buying more. We found that our average order value um, has increased by giving away these free products because people are just trying to support the company. So it's a nice circle to be in. But how does it make you feel to be able to do this at a time when, I mean, there's so much crisis, especially in communities of color? I just feel so blessed to be able to be in a position where I can use my resources for the greater good. I think even before starting this company, um, where I started making these products in my college dorm room a few years ago, um, the whole point was to better people's lives. And so we started out with the hair care products. And so if our mission is always ingrained with that community aspect in mind, then it's only natural that we've, we've come here to this position. So I think I really just want to thank my team because it wasn't just me. The team went above and beyond to do this in such a quick turnaround to really help with the community. Yeah, I got to ask, how are you keeping your team safe? In Philadelphia, we are all working remotely. Um, in Cleveland, where our warehouse is, we do our fulfillment. And from there, we have taken a lot of safety measures and switched up the schedules so that only three people are in at the same time and they are very much so distanced. And being innovative because you are innovating at a time mm -hmm. when so many companies are losing mm -hmm. and are afraid that they won't make it. How are you able to pivot like this? And what advice would you give other business owners 
who are trying to not just survive, but to thrive through this. Exactly. So we were very fortunate to be able to do it, but we do have things in, um, in place that allow us to be very agile. At the end of the day, we always have a startup mentality to listen. And so if your focus is your consumer, they will gear you towards the right innovation needed at the right time. And so if, you're, if your vision is just to get rich, right, and create products, you're going to only start creating products that meet your needs and never really innovate to what the, the consumers really want. So I think having a true north for us that's geared in the community allowed us to, to pivot and innovate, but also it's ingrained within our mission statement at Natural Club. Innovation and, and community focus. That was the key, you think? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then so how much are these hand sanitizers? How big are they? Tell me all about them because I want people yeah. to come support. Yeah. So our first batch is four ounces of hand sanitizers. The next batch are going to be both um, two ounces and four ounces. Um, so one that's a little po- cute pocket size one that sprays that you could take with you. Yeah. And so how long do you think that this hand sanitizer will be on the menu of, of products that you all provide? Well, as long as as long as we're needed, Natural Club is here to make the lives of people better. And who knows? It's just hand sanitizers to start, but we see, we'll see what we can do. Wonderful. So tell us your website so people can reach out and support you. The website is naturalclub.com. Um, and if they put in KYW um, as a coupon code, they'll get 15% off. And we just launched our new CBD collection. That actually, with every purchase of the uh, from our CBD line, it helps bail out inmates through the um, the bail project. Mata Altajani, thank you so much for coming on Flashpoint and check out NaturalClub.com. Remember, enter KYW for fifteen percent off. Thank you so much for doing that, and good luck to you. Thank you so much. Have a great day and stay safe. We'll be right back. Are you disappointed in the timing of your home care paycheck? Or are you being paid at all? Call Patriot Home Care today and know that your paycheck will arrive on time and that you'll be well paid. As a leading home care provider in Pennsylvania, Patriot offers the most comprehensive benefits package in the state. You can qualify for free health care, 401k retirement benefits, paid sick time and vacations, and time and a half pay for holidays. Who doesn't like that, right? So you can call Patriot Home Care today at 877-535-5550. That's 877-535-5550. Again, it's 877-535-5550. Flashpoint is produced by Cherry Gregg and associate producer Ariane Fulcher. Thanks for listening. it for the flashpoint podcast i hope you enjoyed this exclusive content follow us on twitter our handle is flashpoint show you can also follow me at cherry greg if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar let us know and we'll walk it to the flames the late president john f kennedy once said only an educated and informed public can be a free people the ignorance of one voter in a democracy impairs the security of us all i'm your host cherry greg until next week thank you for listening